We are a very blessed church. We've got a lot of wonderful people here. We've got a lot of people who can rightly divide the Word of God and minister to our hearts. Our speaker this morning, for most of you, doesn't need an introduction. We all know him. For those who have never heard him, you're in for a treat. I tell you what, one thing I've always enjoyed about Jim, when he presents the word, to me, he always puts me on the edge of my seat. Just well, what's more, more, you know, just it's just something about it. I tell you what, I have a, a lot of respect for Jim Hussey. He, he's a great man of God, and uh, the word that he preaches, you can tell that he's he's really studied the word. He knows the word. And today, we are honored to have him today in the, in the uh, place of our pastor to minister the Word. And Jim, we're just so thankful that you're here this morning. And just have your way, however you want to do it this morning. And uh, won't you come? Won't you give him a hand? Thank you. Excuse me for taking a little bit to get ready. Good to be here. Pastor Angela this morning was talking about the being thankful for the little things. I tell you what. When uh, when you have to rely on everybody else to help you take care of you, you uh, real soon get thankful for little things. Amen. And uh, that's a part of what praise is. Praise is acknowledging and being thankful for what God has done in our lives in the past. And we give him thanks for that, and we acknowledge him. And worship is acknowledgement of his character acknowledgement of what he's who he is and what he's going to do builds towards the future oh we got a lot to look forward to don't we well i'm uh, i'm really grateful to uh have this opportunity and uh, hopefully you all can hear and hopefully uh i can communicate a little bit of what i'm feeling god would like to say to us this morning and uh I got to thinking that, uh, you know, Abraham was given a promise. He started out as Abram. He later became Abraham, and his name meant the father of the faithful. He was going to be a nation of, of many. You got to have kids to do that. That's that now. We're blessed. We we haven't had that problem. We we have six kids, and and Brooke will be uh, arriving at what December, and she will make number twelve grandchild. So we're busy. But Abram didn't have that problem. He he had a name, and people had to laugh at him, and he had to believe. When Joseph received um, the dream of his future and shared it, 
Little did he know that that would mean that he would be abused and that he would be looking up from the bottom of a well and that he would be a slave and that he would end up on trumped up charges with a life sentence. But that he would be able to finally stand before his brothers and say, what you meant to me for evil, God meant to me for good. In 1 Samuel 16, when, when David was anointed king, little did he know that when it came to the comforts of life, that was probably the worst thing that could happen to him. He would run for his life for years to follow, sometimes hidden in caves. I heard a Bible commentator say the other day that that was an important time of his life. He learned every nook and cranny of Israel, and that would later be useful when he was king, when he had to unify the kingdom, and he knew where every insurgent was hiding out because he had been there. The fact of the matter is, when God gives us a promise in the course of time, sometimes uh, it takes a while to get there. Sometimes we've got to hang on. Sometimes uh, it's a fight. But I'm glad he's a winner. And because of that, he can be trusted. And uh, gosh, if I understood all of uh, eternity, I would be God and you'd be in trouble. All I know is that somehow in the parentheses of eternity, he placed time. A place that we could accept and receive forgiveness and that we could walk it out. And that, But somehow we're going to rule and reign with him throughout the rest of eternity. Don't understand what that means. I don't have any comprehension of what that means. All I know is it's good. It's good. Mm. I heard about uh, Noah's son came back from college and he was telling Noah how, uh, according to engineering, all the things he should have done differently with the ark. He did this wrong and he should have done that. And so Noah sat there patiently and listened and got all done. And the son said, well, what do you think? He said, you're probably right. But you'll have to admit that she was the best thing afloat in her day. If you stand with me and we'll uh, look to First Samuel 17. And we'll begin reading at uh, verse 26. The context of this story is uh, David is the youngest of the sons of, of Jesse. And... Um, his duties were that of taking care of the sheep on the field. The prophet came to anoint a new king. And interestingly, all the sons were called except for David. That would say a lot about how much confidence that his dad had him, wouldn't it? Because when all, all of them passed the prophet, the prophet said, well, 
isn't there anybody else? And he said, oh, yeah, I got one more, but he's out tending sheep. The implication is that Jesse didn't have a lot of confidence that David was the guy for the job. But David got called and he was anointed. And then his next job, uh, in chapter 17, we see uh, his dad saying to him, why don't you take some supplies to your three older brothers who are in the army? They're fighting with Saul. And it's in that context that uh, we see David has joined up with the army and is um, there with him, and Goliath has come out and, and made himself known. And the men of Israel were afraid, verse 24 says. Verse 25 tells us that uh, the men of Israel said to David, Have you seen this giant? This guy is huge. And the king has promised that anybody who, get, who takes care of him would receive a lot of riches. They would get the daughters, uh, the king's daughter's hand in marriage. And the fathers, um, their father and his household would be free of taxes. If nothing else, the last one is a pretty good promise. <laughs> and it's in that context that we hear these words, uh, David responding. And David says to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the, this Philistine? And takes away the reproach from Israel. It's kind of like he can't believe what's just been said and nobody has taken him up on it. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this enemy of God? Who is this non-covenant person? That he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in this manner saying, It shall be done for the manner for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, what do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Your pride and insolence, I know your pride and insolence of heart, for you have come to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Father, I pray that in the next few minutes we share together that you'll take this futile attempt to share your truth and that you by your spirit will speak to our hearts. We invite your Holy Spirit to captivate our attention. We invite you to speak to us. We invite you to do the work that only you can do for the work of eternity. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 And you may be seated. <clears throat> when Pastor Goodluck asked me to speak, the first thing that came to mind was the passage from Psalms 23, where he says, I will prepare a table in the presence of mine enemies. God had made that very real to me, and recently, uh, 
I was dwelling on the uh, the revelation that you will prepare that in the presence of your enemies. And your enemies won't be in heaven. So that means we win now. Now I recall that the promise that, that I believe that God has given to me has been the one that uh, there won't be the smell of smoke. So that means that I, uh, I'm planning for full restoration. Now, right now I don't get around real well. I don't talk too good. And I get real impatient with that. I plan on winning. I recognize that we are in a war. Yeah, I know our nation is in a war, but so are we. Also recognize that it's not necessarily politically correct to talk about war. But the fact is, there are enemies and there is war. A previous president said, war is hell. And that is true. War is not a pleasant thing. It is not a requested thing. It is not a wanted thing. But Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7 says that there was war in heaven. That's where war started. Matthew quoted that in the last days before Jesus comes, there will be wars and rumors of wars. It is a nation's responsibility to protect its citizens. And thank goodness for the greatest generation, as we call them, the people that protected us during World War II that made our nation great and give us the freedoms that we enjoy today. Or this would definitely be a different culture. We are instructed to wear armor. In fact, Luke chapter 11, verse 22, has some insight to it when it says, But when someone stronger attacks and overcomes him, talking about the enemy, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted. The armor in which he trusted. What you trust in is your protector. It is your armor. And when you lose, you give up the right. You see here, you see here, not only to the armor, but also to the spoils. We are instructed in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the armor of God. And um, at first, I was thinking that probably we would be uh, spending some time talking about that today. But as I got to looking at this, and as I got to seeing this, this has kind of taken a different bend. I would like to spend our time talking about what do you see? Is there not a cause? Uh, We need to know who our enemy is. If we're not careful, we can fight against the very answer of the very thing that we're looking for. We need to know who our enemy is. As believers, we are instructed that our enemy is not flesh and blood. The followers of Jesus did not recognize that he was not sent to free the land of Israel from occupation. He was sent for a greater cause than that. Just our comfort 
is not alone the battle we fight for, but the blessing of God and the future of eternity for ourselves, our families, and the generations of responsibilities that God has given us is the greater cause. That is what we're looking for. We need to know who our enemy is. We need to know the battle. And for the most part, the believer, the battle is in the mind. What do we believe? In John 10.10, we are instructed that there is an enemy who has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. But if you study that, you discover that his weapon is unbelief. You discover that his weapons formed against us is deceit. When a person is stronger than, he doesn't have to deceive to win. He can tell you the truth, but he is a bully. He's going to win because he's stronger. But when he's not stronger, he tries to deceive. We, he is known as the great deceiver. Revelation tells us that when we actually see him, we're going to say, point at him and look and laugh and say, that's the one that deceived the nations. You know, when you go into a uh, a dark night, into a, 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 a uh, alleyway, and you see a big shadow, you, you get scared of it. There's, there's uh, an element of fear that comes with its size. The actual thing may be extremely small, but the shadow it is casting may be very large. That's exactly what the deceiver is. He's no more than a shadow. He is powerless. He has not the authority. He has been overcome. We need to know our enemy. We need to fight to win. Paul said, don't swing at nothing. Swing and intend on hitting and winning. So it is important that we know that we are intended to win. Scripture says that we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers. There's a whole lot of promises. I won't take time to go into them, uh, but there's a whole lot of promises. Uh, The church overcomes the gates of hell, won't prevail against them. We overcome the world. We overcome the enemy. Now, uh, our fleshly desires can overcome us. The corruption of the world can overcome us, but it doesn't have to because he has overcome the world. He has overcome our enemy. And finally, it says that there will be war. They will take up war, but Jesus overcomes all. Hallelujah. Now, I also want you to see that the spoils go to the, uh, to the winner. David wanted to, the, what is the reward for beating the giant? And nobody's done this yet? You gotta be kidding. Did you understand that he has defined the army of God and that somebody ought to take this guy down? Well, according to uh, Psalms 23, the reward is a part of that is a table in the presence of our enemies being being rewarded in, in, in their presence. Our anointing, our cup will run over. It overruns with his joy. Goodness and mercy follow. We dwell in the house of God forever. Oh, what a tremendous opportunity to overcome. But I want you to see beyond. A lot of churches, a lot of believers see the first, but they tend to overlook to not see the second part. 
seeing beyond. They only see the war. The fact of the matter is what made David different was he saw beyond just the war. He saw what the winning was going to be. Some people go to war because it's their duty. Some do because there's clamor. Some do because, but but they're bound by the circumstance of what they're facing, what they're dealing with. The challenges, the challenge may be the army that they're fighting against. And in this case, we saw that David's challenge also included those of his own family. We recognize that uh, David also was faced with the challenge of the giant. There may be a giant in our circumstance. But David said, is there not a cause beyond seeing the circumstance? You know, it's interesting to me that David's three brothers that followed Saul in the war had the same opportunity and grew up in the same family and were taught the same thing, but they did not see the opportunity of the cause. As parents, you know what it's like to raise children that may be in the same family, but they see things differently. But it's amazing that you and I have the opportunity of exercising faith, of seeing the outcome of a circumstance that can be greater than the circumstance itself. If we are not careful, we get so enamored with a circumstance that we forget that there is a cause. When Paul went to a believer's house, a prophet, not knowing whose garment it was, took the garment, wrapped himself in it, and said, whoever owns this is going to be bound. The interpretation of many believers in that household was, oh, Paul, that is is a prophecy that tells you not to go to Rome. And Paul said, no, that's the right prophecy. It's the wrong interpretation. I am to go to Rome, and I will be bound probably. Two-thirds of the New Testament came as a result of Paul understanding what his purpose and what his calling and what his cause was. He knew that at, at the time that he was converted, he was prophesied that he would stand before kings and authorities. But the way that happened was he had to end up going to Rome. And the way that he got there happened to be by way of as a prisoner. I want you to know that sometimes it can be the right prophecy, but the wrong interpretation of those around you. You have to hear what the voice of God is saying to you. Now, more times than not, That can even be friends and family. They may mean well, but you need to hear what God is saying to you. Your cause and your calling may be greater than that circumstance. It may have an impact that is far beyond anything anybody can imagine or think. It may be an unknown today. You may have a life sentence on trumped-up charges, and tomorrow you may be second in command of the largest nation on earth. So it happened to Joseph. It can happen. 
But you've got to be able to see a cause that is greater than you are. You've got to be able to see a cause that is greater than the circumstance you face. Goliath was not the issue. Goliath was not the issue. The cause you're facing is not the issue. Is there not a cause? The people that are watching may be. Your family may be. The people that follow may be. I heard Marilyn Hickey this week talk about she was praying for a wayward son who was into drugs. And as he was somewhere and, and, and somebody helped him out and gave him a lift and asked who he was and he said who he was. And they said, oh, by the way, does that mean that you're related to Marilyn Hickey? And she, he said, yes. And this person said, well, you know, my dad was saved in her meeting, and so I've been sent evidently here to witness to you. (laughs) And her son got saved as a result of her faithfulness to the Lord many, many years prior. You never know at the moment of that circumstance that you may be facing what your faithfulness may do somewhere down the road. Lou Holtz, who was uh, the coach of the Notre Dame team for some years, now he's on uh, a football commentator. You see him on TV on on Saturdays. Uh, One of his tapes I shared with my employees recently, and he talks about three guys that were bricklayers and their perspective on life. And one guy said that uh, his job was to lay bricks. He was good at that. That's what he did. He laid bricks. So his perspective on life every morning when he got up was, I'm here to lay bricks. Another guy said, well, I make so much an hour. I get paid hourly. I get an hourly wage. So his job was, as far as he was concerned every day, was to make so much uh, of a wage and take that home. And the third guy, when he was asked, he said, I'm a bricklayer that's building a cathedral. And someday there will be people that will leave here greatly inspired and will change this world because I'm laying the brick that they're going to worship in. What do you see? When you see, look at your circumstance, when you look at your situation, what do you see in that? Is there the opportunity of making a difference in somebody's life? Are you simply seeing that you're facing a giant? It's impossible. I can't do this. There can't be a change. Or do you see that there's an opportunity? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Who are you accountable to? Who are you trying to please? If you're there to only please those around you, you might do that. That's what David's brothers were. They were there to please their commanders. Or are you there to make a difference in history? David had no understanding at that point that his life and his decision would make a difference in 2008. All he knew that right now, this was an obstacle that God could take care of. He could trust for that to happen. Oh, there was a reward for doing that. But if you read the narrative, you discover that that was not the ultimate of David's decision. In fact, I don't know that David ever was rewarded for what he got from man. His reward came from God. 
But the challenge was, is there not a cause? Is it not time to stand up and to fight? Is it not time to win this? The rewards went to the overcomer. And there are rewards. And we can win. And we are to. First of all, we know that uh, the winners are going to escape hell. That's a good place to escape. Scripture says it wasn't designed for us. It was designed for Satan and his angels. Now, we have six kids. Boy, we're, we're greatly blessed. Some are worship leaders and some are on worship teams and, and, and some are uh, at, at large churches, some are at small churches. Grant and Ellie are here. Oh, I'm, I'm excited about all that God is doing. We got one daughter and son-in-law up in up in South Texas, in, um, South Lake in, in Dallas, Texas, and they're at the Gateway Church, and it's a church that's uh, eight years old and has seventeen thousand members and has ten services on the weekend, one busy place. And uh, recently, I heard their pastor talk about hell, and as he was describing it, I, I knew good and well it wasn't a place that I wanted to go. And maybe you've had some friends that have said this, you know, well, um, I'm going to have a good time while I'm getting there. And after all, most of my friends and family are going to go there. So I want to meet up with them. It's a place of solitary confinement. They'll never see their friends or family. It's a place of utter darkness where God, God is light and his presence is no longer there. According to scripture, it is a place without a bottom. They're forever falling. It is a place of torment. It goes on and on and never ends. That's a place worth escaping. Eternity in heaven. Everybody that I've read about and heard from that has uh, gotten even a glimpse of heaven finds it difficult to describe. All they can say is, I want to be there. That's the place I want to go. You get a crown. You get recognition by God. You inherit all things. Jesus said you, you end up ruling over cities. I don't know what eternity is going to be like. But it's really going to be fascinating to find out, isn't it? Paul said you win no matter what. He said, if I'm no longer in the flesh and I go to heaven, I win. And if I stay here with you guys, I win. I don't know which way I want to win. That's a pretty good deal. What risk do we have? Jesus has already overcome, so we win. As it was, has been said, if you read the end of the book, we win. Well, knowing what, there are not often times in life where you know the end of the story at the beginning, except as a believer. And what a deal to know at the very beginning, no matter the difficulty or the circumstance, I'm going to win. What a way to go. We win. Is there not a cause? Now, listen to me carefully. Carefully. 
If you get nothing else out of this message, listen to me very carefully. This makes a difference in believers. It also makes a difference in churches. How you see things. Do you realize that David and his best friend were on opposite sides? His best friend was Jonathan, who was a son of Saul. Jonathan will, I believe, be honored because of his faithfulness to his father. But you don't find Jonathan's name in the New Testament. You don't find that he was a man after God's own heart. He missed seeing the cause. Now we've discovered that David's three older brothers were, even though that they were willing to give their life in service to their country, they missed seeing the cause. It is David that God honors with saying that he is a man after mine own heart. It is he that reaps the rewards because he pays the price. But it is he that sees the cause. I ask you, in your circumstance, God may reward you for faithfulness to your family, faithfulness to your church, faithfulness to your employer. But can you see the bigger picture? Can you see that God is in the midst of your circumstance and wants to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or think? You're hearing this right now from a guy that didn't walk very well and doesn't talk very well. But I win. I win. If I can say that, what about you? I challenge you today, in your circumstance, in, in your work, in your family, in everything that you do, can you win? I think you can. I believe you can. I believe there's opportunity in the greatest. The bigger the problem, bigger the opportunity for God. Can you trust him? Yeah, he's trustworthy. Thank you, Lord, today for what you've done in our lives and for what you're doing. And I believe that by your spirit, you're speaking to our hearts right now. Some of us, God, are so enamored with a circumstance with going to battle, with being in the army, that we've forgotten there is a greater cause. Some of us are, are grateful for where we've come from, but we don't recognize and we don't realize where we're going. It is worth the fight. Hmm. It is worth being uncomfortable for a little bit because of what is set before us. Oh, we win. And I pray that, first of all, if there are people here that have never accepted you, never put their trust in you before this day is over, may they do that. May they, may they see that Jesus paid the price. He was not a substitutionary plan. God knew from the beginning what it would cost for us. But he was a substitutionary payment. God paid that they could enjoy the benefits. And we win. 
We're more than conquerors. We are overcomers. May we place our faith in that. In our circumstance today, in our family, in unsaved loved ones, may we intercede expecting, believing you're going to do the impossible. In our job situation, may we see it as more than just laying brick, more than just getting an hourly wage. May we see we're making a difference for eternity. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name.